All right, everybody, welcome back. You are listening to Into the Cauldron. I'm Chris. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm here today with a really incredible guest, someone I have been waiting to talk to for a really long time, uh, Matthias Castle, who is in his forthcoming book, the really one of the foremost English translators of the Ars Notoria, and really a lot of the texts of the Ars Notoria tradition, because as we're going to get into today, the Ars Notoria is not just one single text, it is a tradition, really, it is even arguably the earliest uh, manuscript of the Solomonic tradition. Uh, and we are going to get into all of that. So I'm, I'm really excited to really hand this over to uh, Matthias, where we're going to have a wonderful discussion about the Arsatoria, whether it's in terms of pract uh, practitioners of the Arsatoria and medieval magic, or just the textual history of all of that kind of thing. So Matthias, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Brilliant. So uh, for people who don't know, I, I said there, you're, you have a book coming out with Inner Traditions. Uh, I've heard some conflicting reports about the date that it's coming out. I heard at one point it was December, then I heard November. Now, now I'm hearing February. Uh, yeah, so I'm not sure so now it's uh, November the 28th. November. Okay, November 20th. Okay, brilliant. So it's coming out fairly soon. Yeah, in a month. Yeah, about a month time. Okay, cool. So for people who, I guess, don't know you yet, or of course they will eventually with this book, but for people who don't know you at the moment, uh, can you, I guess if we open this up a little bit, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, your background in, in your studies and how you came to focus on the Arsenatoria out of all the other kind of grimoire texts that we have throughout the medieval period? Yeah, uh, I have a bachelor's in religious studies and philosophy um, from Emory Henry College, and uh, I came to study the uh, Ars Notoria by looking at <clears throat> um, Robert Turner's English translation, finding some problems with it, and then tracking down the original uh, through the work of uh, Veronese, uh, his work, which is his critical edition here. Mm, that's the uh, Latin version, isn't it? 2000, uh, 2007, yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I just worked on uh, the translation and uh, did some uh, original research of my own. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so I mean, out of out of all the, you know, when we look at medieval Europe, I guess essentially, there are so many other grimoires, even in even in the Solomonic tradition in general, right? So, what was it about the Notoria, or, or I guess about about Turner, that attracted you to it originally? Why the Notoria? I guess. Uh, well, why why I got into it because I was interested in uh, tracking down the uh, ritual. Uh, trying to understand how it was set out, you know, if you're to do it step by step. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I found some problems with the, the text yeah. and realizing that it was disorganized and corrupted, and that's why I tracked down the original 13th century uh, text. Hmm. Right. So I guess this is I guess this is one of the things that we can start to open up a little bit more one of the big misconceptions i think people probably have is they will approach the osnotoria probably they may have heard of it through versions that are included in the lemetron uh that usually are building off of robert turner's i think it's 1657 something like that 1650s yes. that's his translation yeah most people will have experienced the notoria sort of through turner's work in that is sometimes included in, in the, the metaton but it presents this image that the notoria is kind of one single text, but actually it's it's not. It's a it's a textual tradition, really. Correct. Yeah, uh, the Ars Notoria has uh, it spawned a, a number of derivative texts, and uh, I translated a few of them. 
the one that some people may be familiar with is uh, John Moringi, uh, his Liber uh, Florum, uh, which was done uh, in Latin, uh, uh, critical edition uh, from uh, uh, Finger and Watson. Uh, mm. But uh, there is um, there is the Ars Brevis. There's the uh, Opera Omnia. There is the uh, Ars uh, Paulina, and there is one by uh, abbreviate, abbreviated uh, text by Thomas of Toledo. Mm. And I, I assume most of those texts are working off of a kind of a similar manuscript source when we go further and further back, which I think would be maybe what Ars Notoria A or A2. I think is that like A, A2 yeah, yeah, B. So there are, um, Veronez uh, established um, a version A, a version A2, and a version B in his study of the manuscripts. There's about 50 some of these manuscripts that uh, exist, and uh, he classified them in those three categories primarily A and B, and then he has those uh, uh, Latin critical editions in his work, and I translated from that work. Uh, so I have a, a version A, which is a short version, and a version B, which is the long version with uh, glosses and commentary. Right. So, so is that sort of the main way in which the versions differ then? So version B is a longer version that has kind of critical commentary and things on it, or do they have different notae in them? Uh, it's well, there's for the general, generally speaking, the figures are the same. The no tie mm. is what they're called in the book. Um, but, um, it's generally the same, but there are some slight differences between A and B, uh, with the figures. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of, I guess, if we're you know going down this huge rabbit hole, I guess, uh, let's talk about, I guess, the textual history of the Arsenal Toria. You sent me before this a, a very wonderful. Um, I guess we say flowchart that was outlining kind of all the influences on all the different texts and I'll flash this up on the screen now as we're speaking so people can kind of follow along um, but if we want to begin if we say let's with, let's begin with Robert Turner's like like what you did um, and then working our way back and that kind of thing how do we sort of trace the evolution of this tradition you know because it, it is a huge huge thing i mean I, I in my mind the question i'm kind of asking is you know where did this kind of magic come from or where did this tradition come from and i think it would, it would probably be very very useful for people if we start to unpack i guess some of the influences and some of the orders that the texts evolved in if we start with with turner okay so turner uh he translated the latin text that was found in the opera omnia or the collected works that are attributed to uh uh, Henry uh, Cornelius Agrippa. Hmm. Uh, now, Agrippa did not write this Latin text, but it was just included amongst his other works. And so Robert Turner translated from that. Now, uh, like I said, there was some imperfections with that Latin text. Um, now, that Latin text uh, shows influence from the uh, Ars Brevis, which is a, one of the derivative texts of the Ars Notoria. And then it is also um, the Grippian text, as I like to call it, also has a strong influence of the, the version B or the glossed version of the Ars Notoria. Mm -hmm. And actually, so these two texts are actually put together, <clears throat> excuse me, in the uh, Agrippa's uh, uh, collection. So you have 
the Ars Notoria version B and the Ars Brevis. And so um, when you read Turner's uh, translation, it starts off with version B and then it goes to uh, the Ars Brevis. And there's some special material that's kind of smashed in between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I'll probably write uh, a little bit about that on my blog in the in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, <clears throat> for the most part in my book, I don't discuss Turner's work uh, to much extent. I, I focus really on uh, the, uh, the the translation uh, of these uh, derivative texts in the Arsatoria itself, version A and version B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, brilliant. So, so how do I, I guess because they're, they're they're directly influencing uh, all the way down to Turner essentially. So, with things like the Ars Brevis and, and maybe the uh, so Agrippa's opera, um, do they do they also contain notai or are they kind of are they kind of like smushed in between? Are they kind of sandwiched in between other other things? Yeah. So in the Latin uh, uh, edition of of, the, uh, of Agrippa's text and in the Robert Turner translation, you just have one figure, which I call the uh, Agla uh, figure, which is called the figure of memory. And that is a part of the Ars Brevis or the short art. Um, and the none of the original uh, notai of the Ars Notoria is found in the Latin edition or Robert Turner's edition. Interesting. So, so, so are, are there, how did these, do we know how these things kind of got lost essentially? Along, is, that, is that kind of what happened? Did they just kind of get lost in translation as, as copyists were copying manuscripts and things like that? Or? Uh, it's not very clear on how that occurred, why the, the figures got lost. Hmm. Uh, even the, there are additional figures, even from the short art, the Ars Brevis, that were excluded um, from the uh, Latin uh, uh, Grippin text in the Robert Turner translation. Uh, right. Why that is, I don't know. Um, I, my personal uh, hypothesis is that uh, the original Latin scribe um, of the Grippin text uh, started with the Ars Brevis when he was doing his composition and then added the version B uh, to it but never right. included the figures. Right. And and the version B, uh, I, if I'm remembering your flowchart, I think version B, it, it's sort of most direct influence is the A2 stream, right? Of the, of the Arsatoria, it sort of comes by. Um, the A2 goes, uh, influenced the version B. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And then I guess the, the version A influenced A2, essentially. Correct. So it's A to A2 to B. Right. And then from this, I'm, I'm sort of looking at uh, our, our flowchart here. There's also, there seems to be some, well, what you're implying is kind of lost prayers or figures that were kind of exerting some influence on either of them or that it's not full or something. So um, if we go, if we step back, you're looking at the, the Ars Notorious, I would say, uh, is, a, is a text that is based on the Flores uh, Aurei, the golden flowers of Apollonius of Tyana. Mm-hmm. And that text was incomplete. And so we have a, a lost, some prayers that are lost and some figures primarily from the sciences that are associated um, with the, pra- uh, uh, the prayers and figures. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Ars Notoria becomes uh it, it, it accumulates or uh, acquires these other 
uh, fragmented text. Uh, and so one of them is the Ars Nova uh, or the new art. And that was the first mm -hmm. derivative text of the golden flowers of Apollonius. And then there's these nine prayers or Novum Termini that were added. And then along with um, the, the text got rearranged and the figures were no longer in the text, but then pushed to the very end of the text. So there was definitely a lot of rearranging going on between um, uh, the whatever the original Golden Flowers was to version A. And then there's some more shuffling between A, A and A2. And you have um, another section of the, the special prayers. Um, so let me back up a little bit. So in the Ars Notoria or the Golden Flowers, you have uh, two groups of prayers. You have the general prayers and you have the special prayers. And so where, where it got fragmented was when it got talking about the prayers of philosophy and we lose those science, um, some of those science prayers and some of the figures. And we have this later addendum about the, the special prayers. So obviously text got rearranged and then the figures themselves instead of being incorporated into the body of the text, they were pushed to the very end of the text. Interesting. And so, so I guess um, that, that displayed that someone was reading it and maybe didn't understand what the figures were for, or? Um, I think the reason why they pushed them to the end is because there was getting to be some confusion on which prayers were attributed to which figures. Right. Yeah, so uh, part of part of the, the Ars Notorious, you, you do your prayer, uh, and if you're wanting to learn knowledge about uh, grammar, you do the prayer and then you inspect the figure associated with it. Mm -hmm. And so you would do that through um, the, the religious practice and uh, the art of memory to learn uh, your, your subject matter. Right. And I think because in, in the on on the the uh, flowchart here, we distinguish, I guess, between mythical and material origins. So with the Fluorus Ori, as far as I as far as I remember, I think we isn't isn't the Fluorus Ori the the earliest manuscript that we have, I guess, materially as well, though, because I think it, isn't there a copy of it in uh, I think it's Yale, isn't it? The the Yale Library. Yeah. So the 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 Yale manuscript is dated 1225 mm -hmm. um they they they're just using the insipid uh and then they call it the the golden flowers of uh, apollonius right. um but when you really look at the text what we call the ars notoria is really this is not just the, the golden flowers but these other uh, fragmented supplements, including the the new art, the these nine prayers, and then this new arrangement, the special prayers, and then the figures at the end. Hmm. So you you have the Ars Notoria as this this whole complete text, and what we would call the the version A or the short version of the text. So hmm. if we think about uh, what might have come before, there might have been an original. Full complete text of the Golden Flowers of Apollonius 
maybe it was written in Greek. I, I, I tend to believe it, it may have been, but there's, Makes sense. Yeah. there's some possible hints that it is, but it's, there's not a lot of strong evidence for that. Um, but that, that original text was, uh, used and, you know, someone probably cut out the pages for the science, the sciences and prayers and figures, and it got rehashed. Um, I also believe that there was, um, the supplemental, uh, text, uh, might've been composed by a certain Christian writer who had written a letter and we have a portion of that letter because it says uh, that it addresses some of the questions that his addressee was asking him about the Ars Notoria or the Golden Flowers. And so he answers that with this, this new art and then his own personal recommendations on uh, how to proceed with the ritual. And, and which uh, which Christian writer was that, sorry? Uh, it's an unknown. Oh, it's unknown. Um, we don't have the opening of the letter. We don't have the, the closing of the letter. But it, um, I point out in my book that there are some hints in which it says it addresses you, uh, you the um, addressee, uh, I'm answering your questions and that kind of thing. Right. Um, the, the hypothetical uh, uh, source that I believe that uh, embody that uh, contains these these fragments that we have. Right, and then I, I guess the I, I'm sort of following the flowchart again here, but the the sure. active source for I guess the plurus ori, so sort of um, Apollonius's uh, one is kind of a, arguably maybe a Solomonic text, or at least in the mythic realm of things. Uh, I think because the, the the sort of the folkloric textual tradition around the notoria is that the the notary art i guess is given to solomon by way of i think it's is it pamphilius or, or pamphilius the angel something like that uh, by by right. god and it sort of it forms part of the narrative of the testament of solomon as well right yeah the the, the entire ars notoria uh is based off of um the biblical account of king solomon uh having a uh he making a sacrifice on the mountain to god and then having a dream at night of God and God asks him, what would you like? And King Solomon asks for wisdom. And God was pleased with that and uh, granted him that wisdom. So the Ars Notoria is based on this, uh, the idea of, of dreams and a, a, a vision of God or a vision of angels. And so the Ars Notoria practitioner is... In a, in a sense, trying to recreate that uh, by uh, finding an angel that would teach them uh, through dreams. And so um, when King Solomon received these writings from the angel, uh, uh, he had um, learned uh, a method uh, uh, called the notaricon or this Kabbalistic method or exegetical method of extracting uh, esoteric significance from uh, you know, the Torah and different writings. And so these prayers that the angel gave him, he constructed his own prayers using different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Chaldean, uh, Chaldean. And so... 
um, that became when he compiled it all together. That became his Liber Florum, uh, his book of um, flowers of heavenly teaching, hmm. and then that was then passed on to Apollonius of Tyana, supposedly, and Apollonius had uh, provided commentary on that text, and then he also provided the uh, Latin prologues, or what would kind of be like a sort of translation or summary of these uh, notaricon constructed prayers that uh, Solomon had made. Mm. That's that's really interesting because I I guess we don't we don't it almost implies that there is especially when we're looking at I guess the you know the Torah and any of that kind of influence it seems like there may have been a Kabbalistic influence on the Astatoria in some way as well. The the only Kabbalistic influence I see is this uh, exegetical method of called called the Notar Khan, in which you would um, uh, there's there's two methods of that uh, a protracted method and a contracted method in which you take like a line of text like say out of the the Torah and you would say um, okay I'm going to just take the first letter of each word in this sentence and then contract that into a single word and then you could do a vice versa where you can take a word and then expand it into a sentence right okay so that is the only uh kabbalistic or old uh, judaic uh tradition of interpreting text right so if you think of you know yourself as like king solomon oh i had this amazing dream from god how do i interpret this let me go to uh the you know the rabbis and they would say, oh, well, let's interpret it this way. Let's look at the, the scripture and do this exegistical method and uh, find out the, the significance of your dream. Right. OK, so that, that makes sense, because I guess like, the, like one of my next questions was really, I guess, how how unique is the Arsenal Torah in terms of sort of the, the, the you know, the landscape of, of medieval magic? I guess how unique of it is a grimoire, because the only one I can kind of think of that has any kind of similarity in structure or, or I guess methodology with the Oscillatoria is something like the Sarpora literature, right? So the Prince of the Pora literature, mm -hmm. where the angel kind of comes down and, and you gain and sort of gives you immediate knowledge of uh right. or whatever. That's the only one I can think of that's kind of similar to the idea of the notorious kind right. of asking that Kabbalistic influence. Yeah, yeah. Um that is, I mean, th there's parallels with that, but I don't see necessarily a direct influence uh of that text on the ars notoria hmm. um and, and of course in that other in that same vein we have um uh, pseudo dionysus um uh and his uh work uh has some parallels or uh influence on the ars notoria um but that was a very popular text in the medieval period um so it's not too surprising hmm. um now Apollonius of Tyana, uh, he had uh, several uh, texts, uh, astrological magic texts attributed to him. And a lot of those texts were in Greek, um, and which kind of leads, was one of the things that leads me to think that maybe the the, the golden flowers, uh, Flores Aurei, was originally a, a Greek text mm. um, because it would fit in that tradition. Um, and also knowing what the, um, 
the Latin world knew about Apollonius Satyana was very was very scant, uh, and what knowledge there was, uh, it was usually a negative uh, viewpoint of him. So uh, this also kind of leads me to think that perhaps it was the Arabs who uh, transmitted uh, the Flores Aurei to the Latin West. Oh, interesting. So it, it that's, that's just through, theory. Um, uh, the theory. But it, it could, so in theory, it could have come through, I guess, the same um, the same vein of things, that, or the same vein of texts that comes off after the fall of Toledo, which is like the same milieu that we get things like Picatrix in, right? So that transfer of Arabic, Greek, and Hebrew texts across sort of to the Latin West, whereas all the 10th, 11th century, it could potentially right. come along with, with those. Right. Yeah. And so there's... Um, in the Ars Notoria, they, they talk about learning some of these uh, div, these arts of divination, uh, like uh, palmistry or what's called chiromancy, uh, geomancy, and a lot of these these references are are texts that were again is those we know were um, definitely geomancy was transmitted via the the Arabs mm. um, to the Latin West, so. Uh, there's definitely a hint that this all this is coming from the east. It's in it's in the same milieu, yeah, and it, and it would make sense, I guess, because we do have other Greek texts that come along with those Arabic texts. But I mean, the Arabs do like there is a very strong tradition in Arabic of um, Apollonius. I think mean, he's he's known in the Arabic as Belinus, right? And he he is attributed to a lot of alchemical works. I think in the Arab or Islamic world as well. So the tradition, what the tradition about um, Apollonius as a kind of a wisdom figure or, or an author of magical texts is quite is quite strong in the Arab world as well. So it would make sense. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes sense. Um, so I guess moving on on the other side of things now. So if we start moving down the chain of the flow chart, I guess we can say um, yeah. the next. Uh, I, guess, I guess the next sort of main point when we get sort get to the to, to the notoria B is I guess John of Morangi and something like the Summa Sacra Magica, for example. And I'm I'm curious what this kind of connecting line is between the Summa Sacra and the Flores Aurei as well, because I guess the, the immediate influence would be the Arsatoria B, but there's a, a connecting line there between the Flores Aurei and the Summa Sacra. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, again, this is uh, <laughs> hypothetical. Okay. okay. Um, from the, the section that I uh, transcribed and uh, translated on the uh, Summa Sacra Magicae, um, there's a hint that uh, this is an older tradition, that it's referring to an older tradition. Uh, it has a collection of, uh, I believe it's 20 prayers or 30 prayers. Um, but I think it, it mentioned a total of 30 prayers. 20 of them are in the Ars Notoria, which is classified as part of the general prayers. And then right. there's 10 other prayers uh, one of which got lost and became the nine prayers of the Novum Termini that uh, exists in the Ars Notoria. And what is interesting um, about the Summa Sacra Magicae is it includes these uh, signa or signs or descriptive titles for the general prayers, or excuse me, these 20 prayers, and it explains their ritual purpose and function. And we don't get that in the Ars Notoria. Right. Um, 
there you see, like I said, is in the Arsenatory, you have this division of general prayers and special prayers. And the Summa Sacrae doesn't really even acknowledge that division. Um, it doesn't contain the any of the special prayers either um, that I'm aware of. Um, so uh, there's definitely this hint that these prayers were used originally for... Um, perhaps another, I guess, another viewpoint on how to attain attain knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't this, uh, well, these, you follow these special prayers to gain the knowledge of the seven liberal arts, you know. Right. So, um, it may, so are we saying it could, like, I, would it still be part of the notorious tradition or would it be a, a kind of a separate tradition of knowledge acquisition? Uh, that is an excellent question. Um, you know, People are still researching and translating the Summa Sacra and Magicae. So right, say it's, uh, it's a new thing. It's a bit of a new It's term. very new. So yeah. there's a lot of questions and there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, like I said, I've done a, a, a partial translation of the material that's relate that relates to the notary art, uh, the Ars Notoria. So um like I said, what's most interesting to me is the the insight that these uh, prayers have these uh, signs or these descriptions on their ritual function. And it, it really seems to match up pretty well with what's in the Ars Notoria, uh, from my viewpoint. If you look at the general prayers, they actually are subdivided into two parts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the, the first, uh, the general prayers, uh, I believe it's, I want to say one through four, the first four uh, have to do with attaining the the memory, uh, the understanding, um, uh, and the eloquence, and then the stability of those three. Um, that is preparing your mental faculties to, um, I guess, be receptive to gaining knowledge. And then the the second part of the general prayers are uh, what the Arsenal says has to do with uh, concerns with theology. And I really understand this. When you look at the descriptions in the Summa Sacra Magicae, you really kind of understand this attaining of theology as a a practical theology. Like it's really about attaining uh, your ability to communicate with the angels. attaining these spiritual faculties so you can communicate with them when you have your dream and your vision with them. And so you can receive the the knowledge that the angel is going to give you. And then the angel is also going to give you these, these letters, which fits in with, uh, again, my theory that it is based off of the exegetical method of the notary con, which you take these, these letters and maybe they're Hebrew letters or Greek letters and you uh, extract the esoteric significance of these letters, and maybe they have, uh, you know, it forms a sentence or a phrase and, or is some sort of instruction on how to proceed with the Ars Notoria ritual. Hmm. All right, because I think that's like the, the sort of the preparatory or purification period, I think, because you have, what I remember when I studied it myself, you have sort of like that 15-day purification period where you sort of supplicate the angel for the dream, and then the angel kind of tells you whether you can continue, right? And you have the whole thing with saffron tea and putting the the names on, on I think it's like laurel leaves or something like that. And then you dissolve them in water. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a, a prefatory stage and the ritual, and then there's the the ritual proper. And in order to proceed to the ritual proper, you have to uh, gain permission from the angel to to do so. Mm. Uh, is there any sort of indication of of who the angel is? Because I know in the folklore tradition, it's it's was it Pamphilus or Pamphilius, right? Is it is it the same angel or is it just an unnamed angel? Uh, it's not clear. Um, however, there does seem to be some indication that the Ars Notoria uh, magic is uh, governed by four angels. Um, there's a little warning in the text about uh, not abusing or profaning the, the notary art, uh, which King Solomon, uh, uh, his, his, his servant got drunk and uh was looking through the the notary art and um he became punished by the four angels in which he uh you know lost his sight lost his hearing and uh so the, these four angels had punished punished him up to his death and at the moment at his death he revealed this this the king solomon that uh he was um punished for profaning the notary art mm. and so it's a warning to our readers uh our, pra- our, our practitioners yeah. don't don't profane the art mm. yeah so so t- take the steps as they will make sure you get permission from the angel and so on uh i mean do we have cause like like because a lot of my you know my, a lot of my research is in uh the greek magical papyri and, and sort of demotic ritual manuals for the most part uh mm-hmm. and it does sound like that the whole idea of sort of inscribing uh names or like angelic names onto you know laurel leaves or something and then dissolve oh, right. yeah. like they there are similarities and things in, in the greek magical papyri and i think also I, I can think of a couple of arabic traditions and things as well where they're burning or distilling like date inks or like, or like myrrh inks or whatever right. and putting them Absolutely. and dissolving them in certain things right so do we know where that kind of tradition came from or is it a you know, a given a take with that kind of thing, but oh, uh, you know, your guess is probably good as mine uh, on that. Um, yeah, we we do see those parallels in the Greek magical papyri and uh, the Arabic traditions. So, um, uh, we don't know. Um, again, uh, I think what I would say is, you know, going back to what we had said previously, that some of these texts were uh, transmitted from the Arabs to the Latin West. Right. Uh, it certainly seems reasonable to think that uh, some of their ritual practices would do right. so. The methods well. and things would have come come as well. So, we, on, on that note, then, what do we what do we know? I guess about the people who were practicing the notoria back in the day. Because I mean, especially it's it's clearly associated, at least when it gets to I guess the Latin West in, in sort of 13th to 15th centuries. It's it's very clearly sort of fitted into sort of the university curriculum and the knowledge of the liberal arts. So we can assume it's probably university students who are the active or most active practitioners of it. I mean, I, I know I think Trithemius has has a copy in his library around, I think, 1500. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I, I think if, if we were to kind of try and paint a picture of who was actually practicing the notoria back in the day, it's probably like a medieval university student or something, right? Right. Uh, uh, Julian Veronez uh, believes that it was probably practiced at the University of Bologna. And I 
uh, tend to agree with him. I believe he had mentioned, and I, I can't remember if I include this in my book or not, but there was even talk of uh, rumors among students uh, and teachers about who was using the notary art. And this uh, you know, teacher was saying how, um, you know, you know, this, I guess the teacher was like, uh, if I recall correctly, he was like, well, yeah, the students are practicing that, but I'm not going to like condemn it or praise it or acknowledge it. You know, I'm just going to ignore it and continue to teach what I teach. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's definitely a, a story of a rumor there. Um, but yeah, it was probably used by university students because, you know, uh, having a good education was going to, uh, you know, advance you in uh, society. Um, and um, so one other thing that would, that's kind of interesting uh, about the University of Bologna is that they had uh, a special department called rhetoric and it developed um into letter writing, which also has uh, a collection of texts uh, called the notary, uh, the notary art, which is the the legal profession. Okay, so mm-hmm. we're talking about you know uh, like the notaries that we have today. You know, right. they, they sign and stamp things, and so uh, you have probably some uh, thoughts of people relating the notary art uh, to that uh, department, perhaps. Hmm. Um, You know, there's other perspectives on the notary art that maybe, um, uh, like I said, we had talked about uh, the Kabbalistic method, uh, the notary con. Um, You had had the, the legal profession and then also if you look at uh, Aristotle's philosophy, some of what he talks about um, certainly kind of parallels with the uh, Judaic notaricon in terms of a- analyzing language, uh, uh, particularly the prayers and how they were composed. Um, the Ars Notoria itself uh, talks about, makes references to these uh, Aristotelian terminology uh, terms. And you're thinking about uh, what they call the intention and remission of forms or these accidental forms. And looking at the, the language, like if you compound uh, these words together or these prefixes, you have more intense uh, intensity of the quality of the thing or more packing of information into this word. So we're contracting this, this information into a single word. Uh, and then you can do vice versa, like like I was talking about earlier, about uh, taking the sentence um, or the, taking the word, expanding it to a sentence or vice versa. So um, you have, uh, to, to sum up, you're looking at the, the notary profession, uh, the Aristotelian uh, philosophy, uh, and then you're looking at the, the Kabbalistic exegetical method. So you have these different perspectives on how people at that time could have been viewing this book called the Ars Notoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, it makes, it makes complete sense. Um, I think it's interesting as well. I, the, the, the other kind of university that's coming to my mind right now that, that mentions it, I think, I think the University of Paris actually deliberately mentions it in its condemnation of sorcery 
yeah, I think it's 13, it's late 1300s, like 1390s, uh, in the uh-huh. list that it publishes of like the illicit arts, it actually includes the Ars Sartoria out of the University of Paris. So it's clearly also being, well, they were in the very least, they were familiar with it. So clearly someone was probably practicing it uh, around yeah. there as well. So, and then, you know, it's kind of, and that also is, is that's quite, a, it's quite an avant-garde place, right? Like it, it's where like Thomas Aquinas teaches and I think Albertus Magnus as well. So that again, Almost every like tradition that the Notoria appears in, there are so many figures that are contributing different perspectives to all of it. So it kind of makes it this just expansive text, essentially. Yeah, um, I believe as Thomas Aquinas was the first to to condemn the the book, um, associating it with magic and demons, uh, and then it was just con- successively condemned thereafter by other. Uh, figureheads uh you know certainly church authorities um so that, that's that itself is really interesting because like on the surface of it it's uh you know it, it's a ritual or it's, it's a collection of texts that's invoking angels towards a vision or a sort of the beatific vision right so the vision of god so how do we get from traditions where they're using it arguably in in you know theology right as you said practical theology to gain knowledge of god how do we get from a text like that that's working prominently with angels to it being condemned as heretical and demonic? I, I mean, I know John of Morangi is very convinced that uh, it, it is kind of. It, I think. I think the the accusation Morangi levels at it is that like it's the biggest piece of heresy because it looks angelic, and this is kind of like how it tricks you that the notorious right. like you know it, it looks like the most holy book, but in fact it's not actually angels doing it. It's actually demons, and he has like all the you know he's famous for having all the terrible night terrors and visions and that kind of right. thing. But how right. do we get from sort of a, 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 what is essentially a medieval manual of angel magic to people thinking it's demonic and condemning it? Uh, that that is a good question. Um, I think what you what you said uh, sums up uh, the, the the church position that uh, yes, it looks very benign. It looks you know orthodox in nature, and it, it looks like a holy book. But actually, they, there are demons behind uh, uh, this book, and you should stay away. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I I seem to remember. I, I think um, I think I, I think I read this in Stephen Skinner. Actually, I think it's in I think it's in in his version B translation that he sort of notes that in in the pictures of some of the notai, some of the sigils and, and the seals that we find mm-hmm. right, are also sigils that are used for demonic kings in other manuscripts as well, in, in some capacity, or that they're used sort of in, in other matters that, that indicate demons. So it's not necessarily just angels included in the notai. There is also potentially some demonic influence as well. I don't know how you find that as well. Or... Uh, well, that's an interesting interpretation. Um, I When I look at the version B figures, they have these little squiggles, which, uh, you know, for those who are familiar with remoric magic, it looks like sigils that would be associated with certain spirits. Um, my personal interpretation is that these squiggles are actually uh, meant as markers for the art of memory. Mm-hmm. So um, you would you would, these figures, if as I understand them, are used in the art of memory in which you would mark the figures yourself. So I think these were very personal, like what we see in the manuscripts. It's just like the template, mm-hmm. but an actual practitioner would would take the the 
the figure draw it themselves. And then as they're learning material, uh, they would place um, a mark in the figure and be like, oh, that that mark reminds me of, you know, something about grammar um, because, uh, you know, it's something about the alphabet or something about syntax or what have you. Right. Um, and so I don't know if you want to go into talking about the, the steps of the art of memory and relationship to those figures. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'll be sort of moving, I guess, forward a little bit more here. If we unpack, I guess, the structure of, of the ritual, I suppose, is it, it, a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah. If we use the art of memory as, as, a, as the example point here. So how would, I know, in theory, when we're following the text, what, what are kind of the instructions for unpacking the steps essentially towards, you know, the art of memory? I mean, we have the, the purific, like the 15-day purification period, right? And then from there, moving forward, I guess, well, what are we looking at? Okay, so um, the Ars Notoria um, can be divided up into two kinds of rituals. Uh, one I call the greater ritual, which is basically the whole thing. Um, and then a lesser rituals in which a single uh, prayer is used within a particular context. Like you would pray uh, to uh, gain uh, or persuade uh, your boss or your leader or something of the, or to, to memorize something before you. Uh, and those were just very small contexts. We talk about the greater ritual. Um, you have, again, version A and version B. So if um, version A is uh, not very clear in its instructions, and I've had to reconstruct what that uh, greater ritual looked like in version A, I believe it was two months to learn um, everything. It was like the, the two months or a, a template to learn something, whereas version B, uh, has been expanded to four months. Mm. And that is the one that uh, you'll find uh, in the other literature. Um, but yeah, let me kind of pull out my notes because it's rather complex. Um, cool. Yeah. I won't I won't go into everything, but... Um, cool. just, just like a general overview or something would be, I think, helpful. Yeah. Um, with the version A, uh, you want to really look at the the visions of time and the divisions of the prayers. So, uh, like I said, it's uh, two lunar months, um, and then each month is divided in half, um, days one through 15 and uh, 16 through 30. And then you also have special days, auspicious days, and ordinary days in which certain prayers are to be prayed. Um and then you also have uh, these Egyptian days or these unlucky days, which is the 15th, 17th, and 19th. And you should do certain things or avoid certain prayers at, at those times. And then the other division is the, the divisions of the prayers. Uh, like I said, there is the general prayers and then there's the special prayers. Um, the general prayers can be divided up into... Uh, seven sequences in that, as I mentioned before, there's a, the subdivision of those that are for mental, uh, uh, developing the mental faculties and those that are developing the, the spiritual faculties to communicate with angels. 
Mm. Uh, and then the special prayers are those for the, uh, assigned to the, the seven level arts or the forbidden arts of uh, magic. So, um, so that would be so in the uh, first. Um, so in the version A, you're looking at doing these prayers and also doing the inspection of the prayers. And that's uh, where expecting the, the no tie, right? Inspecting, yeah, the the no tie. That's uh, the uh, technical term for uh, the figures. Yes. Um, Sure. And, and how sort of, I, I guess, how how important are, you know, sort of sort of the other standard sort of magical operating procedures that we see in other grimoires here? Because one of the things that struck me with uh, with the Ars Notoria is that it's like the, the main sort of activity that you do as the practitioner is essentially prayer, right? It, it's prayer and, oh. and also sort of inspection of the no type. So it's sort of scrying or gazing, essentially. There's not any mention really of, of you know, uh, planetary hours, planetary days, or like planetary incenses to burn, like people would find in, in other Solomonic grimoires or anything like that. So, I mean, right. how, how consistent are sort of other magical technologies in the Ars Notoria as well? We see that, like, whether it's burning incense, making offerings, doing any of this other stuff, because that doesn't seem to appear. It's it's very orthodox in nature. Uh, if you're looking at the ritual practices, you're looking at, um, again, the acquiring a dream of a visitation of an angel who's going to teach you specifically how to proceed in the ritual. So there may be, even though we have the instructions here in the book, the angel may give you special uh, direction. Uh, so dreaming, and then you're looking at uh, prayers. Uh, and you're also looking at uh, some some advice on following the astrological prescriptions in which to best acquire certain fields of knowledge at certain times of the year. Right. So, so I suppose you be, you begin either the, the the preparatory period or you begin the inspection of the notai during the appropriate astrological season that's relevant to the discipline that you're learning, right? So like whether it's rhetoric or grammar or whatever, each of them is ruled by a certain zodiac sign and you need to begin, I guess, begin the ritual or begin inspecting the notai. Because I think because I think if I get it if I'm correct, you don't do any inspection during the 15 day purification right i think the the main inspection comes in sort of the 16 to 30 day right it's it's the latter half or the, the greater ritual right so what you're what you what you're talking about is the version b uh right. a greater ritual okay so that's what's uh that's what's out there uh in the current literature mm -hmm. um no one has talked about the version a what i just went through right so if we talk about version b uh, it basically is trying to harmonize the ritual instructions from multiple sources into a whole. Okay. okay. Right. So you've got uh, two major ritual models. You've got the Flores Aurei uh, and the Ars Nova. Okay. And so there is uh, a cost in harmonizing those two ritual models. Um one is you you doubled your time frame. It goes to four months from two. Uh, there are certain errors that are made, which uh, there's a doubling of ritual instructions, uh, inconsistent usage of the original ritual uh, original ritual frameworks, uh, and then it, it's 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 a, bur it's a burden to the, the practitioner because uh, you got all these 
glosses and recapitu recapitulations of the material. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing, again, it goes back to the, the flores aurei as being a, a, in a fragmented state, uh, which I had said. Uh, so you have, there's problems with that, right? You're missing uh, the, the astronomy and theology uh, prayers and figures. And so that has been uh, uh, fixed by the version B scribed by, uh, or the uh, Ars Nova, the new art uh, scribe, by assigning these new prayers to, uh, to astronomy and to theology. Um, and so if we go looking at the version B ritual, uh, itself a greater ritual, there are five main phases. The first phase you mentioned is the 15 days of penitence. Uh, the second phase, you have a, a special three-day opening ritual procedure. This is the uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday uh, prep period in which you're trying to acquire uh, the permission of the angel to proceed with the, the ritual. And then there is uh, this interim period and that is to uh, reconcile the, the calendar with the lunar count, uh, the lunar month. So you, because you want to start at the, the new moon with the ritual. And then mm -hmm. you have the, the, the big part of the, the greater rituals, which is obtaining the, the new science what, or the new art that you're trying to, to get. And that is your four months in the version B. Uh, again, like I said, that's where it, the version B scribe has taken the, the two ritual models of the Flores Aurei and the Ars Nova together. And then the final phase, the fifth phase, is this three-day closing ritual procedure, which is similar to the, the one that opened it. Um, so that is your, your basic overall, yeah, the basic overall version yeah. B. Um, and, of course, there's more more to that but yeah you you have your basic prep stage and then the the ritual proper mm -hmm. and so in version b which is uh, unique about that from my reconstruction of version a is version b is having you pray and pray and pray for this three months and then at the very final month you inspect the the figures whereas in my reconstruction of version a you are praying and inspecting in the first and both of the first the first month and the second month. Right. So you're sort of doing it right away. So is there no sort of 15 day purification period, not even like a three day purification period or anything? There's nothing day? clear from the version A uh, text. Uh, it may assume that you are doing some sort of spiritual so it, like, uh, purification, it, right? but it doesn't say how long. No. It's very interesting. Yeah. That's very, but very the, yeah, the 15 days themselves in the version B. Uh, again, that's uh, a harmonizing of uh, the, the different 
ritual models of how he came up with 15 days. And I, I talk about that in the book. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I would assume that it's just kind of a, I mean, it does seem pretty standard. I mean, you have, in other sort of like grimoires, you know, you have like nine day purification periods or, or seven day periods where you have to repeat the penitential Psalms and that kind of thing. So, and even, even in the, you know, the Demotic ritual manuals, you have, it's usually three, seven or nine days for being, you know, abstinent and pure and all that kind of thing. So, it, it makes sense that they would kind of increase it, but fifteen is also an interesting number as well. I don't know if it's if there's like some numerology to the number, or or, or if, as you said, it's just to bring the calendar back in line or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe. Uh, let me see. Looking here at my notes, uh, there's twelve days of ritual prep of confession and fasting and giving alms, and then you have the three the three days. Oh, so the, that's your Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm. Uh, so that's the part of the the three day opening ritual, which how that, that's just my way of uh, categorizing or making sense of the text. So um, I guess it, and then the, I guess the twelve comes from. I think part of it comes from the the new uh, the new art, but uh, yeah. <laughs> So one last, like, I, it's, it's all fascinating to me, um, and it, it makes sense, I guess, when we're looking at how all of this has, has formed into into a, a I, I almost want to say a unified tradition, but it's not a unified tradition, probably the wrong word for it, because there are, are differences between the two. Um, but I think I, I heard, uh, I, I can't remember if we talked about this before on on, on email or uh, on Facebook or anything like that, but Dalton... Um, doesn't the the Swan Book of Giratas also have uh, influences from the Notoria prayers as well? So isn't it, isn't the Notoria? I think version B one of the one of the sources for the uh, for the, the Liber Giratas as well. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so the the writer for um, uh, the Swan Book of Honors is uh, uh, he's trying to fill in gaps. Mm. Uh, and so the, the that that gap, uh, what was the missing prayers, are from these um, the book of three souls, which uh, has been translated now by uh, Joseph Peterson, mm. uh, and he tracked it down. So uh, that was just a substitute. So it's like, oh, well, I got these. Uh, I need some prayers. Uh, let's draw from the notary art. Mm. So that's what happened. Interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the notary. In general, and 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 where the tradition of the notai comes from, because like they're not necessarily like the closest analogy I guess you could think of in in, in something else would be sigils, right? As, as, as you mentioned in in other grimoires, that they are these kind of pictorial swiggles representations, but the notai are, are really something else entirely, right? That these usually they're a page big, they're these enormous kind right. of so it's like. What are these things really? Am I where do they even come from? Yeah, so actually, a few of them come straight from uh, textbooks. So one of them comes from uh, Boethius's uh, arithmetic book. Hmm. Um, you see it right there. It's just the figure is divided in half, but um, uh, and that's associated with uh, arithmetic and the Ars Notoria. Um, and then uh, the the figures are really um, I would I would if you're thinking about them in terms of the art of memory because the Ars Notoria calls calls itself 
this book is also called the art of memory. So that's a very right. important it's a central, to, yeah. the key the central concept. And so these figures are like landscapes is how I would imagine it. Because you're, if you're applying the art of memory, uh, the art of memory has three steps. You have uh, imprinting stage in which you take new information and uh, you create an image for it, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, say you want to know your fruits or something like that. I don't know. I'm just coming up with something. Sure. So, like, say you want to know uh, uh, or what fruits you're going to pick up from the grocery store, you know, apples, um, bananas, you know, grapes, you know, and so you would take your image and that you imprint it on your mind. And the, the ancients talked about writing on a wax tablet uh, or stamping a seal like onto a letter. And mm. so that's the imprinting stage. So once you've created your image, then you need a place to store your image. And so these figures are the storage area. Okay. And so the next step is uh, doing a mental walkthrough. How are you going to retrieve your new information? Well, you've you, what you're going to do is you're going to place your your images of the inf information along a certain route in the figure, and you always follow in the art of memory. You always follow the same order, the same path. So you're doing this creative visualization of walking through the figure and being like, "Oh, I saw this image. It's going to remind me." Uh, about my speech and my rhetoric class, you know, the first part, the second part, the third part, the fourth part, until you go through the whole figure. And that's why I'm saying these figures are really uh, meant to be customized by the practitioner. And so you see these little squiggles in the version B uh, manuscript saying, oh, that, that squiggles to remind me about um, the thing I was going to talk about, you know, the boat going sailing down the river and this whole story about whatever and how it relates to my my topic in rhetoric class or whatever. So, right. So it, it, it's kind of like, uh, I guess, what, what people often call the mind palace, right? So it's, it's like creative visualization where you sort of, you know, in, you visualize yourself in kind of a house or different rooms, whatever it is. And then, like, you put your, and to usual example, like a shopping list in different rooms of the house. And then you kind of visualize yourself walking through different rooms and then it kind of triggers your memory of different things, right? That's really interesting. Right. Yeah. So it's it's always like, in a way, like if, even if you look at like anthropological accounts or anything like that, like that's also the way like Aboriginal Australians and, and a lot of indigenous cultures, they their memory still works. They embody their memory in the landscape a lot of the time, like whether it's in certain trees or certain mountain ranges. And then when they are, you know, walking through their landscape, essentially, then the entire land is kind of a, like, similar to a notai, right? The entire landscape is its own thing where they can see certain features in the landscape and that triggers memories. It's how they can remember, you know, entire species of birds or entire plant life and, and species of herbs or like entire maps of an area in general. Um, so that's really interesting. I guess, and, and then I guess on top of that as well, in, in the practitioner's mind, when in their belief at least, they also have the assist, like there is also a magical component in that the angel is also assisting with that at the same time. So there's a biological kind of memory component, but then in their belief, at least there is the angel or, or the magical or I guess God or whatever is, is also helping them improve it. Sure, yeah. Um, 
the so so in the in the ritual practice itself, you know, you you do the prayer and then you you do your uh, uh, inspection and then you're also studying. It says the study at this time, right? You need so to keep studying. Take, sure. you take your textbook. You you're you're creating the image and then putting it into the figure. And so, right. um, although the text doesn't uh, say this, there is a sense that you know. Or, that it may be assuming that you are also having dreams throughout this ritual uh, procedure and and getting further instructions on on how to uh, attain the knowledge that you seek. Right, and then as far as in, in theory, then the dreams are, are going to be the angels that are, are kind of giving you certain squiggles or certain symbols or certain right. preparations. Or some of the letters that you would put into the figure. Right, that, that you can then expand or contract, right? That makes sense. Um, and then I guess as well, something I remember reading on your blog, actually, that I thought was really, really interesting. Um, in that version B, 15-day sort of preferably period, where you're brewing the saffron tea as well, oh, right. the, the the saffron tea and I think rosehip, isn't it, as well, both of those also have uh, memory-enhancing qualities as well. They're both they're both good for preserving memory, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the rose water and the saffron, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, so, the, yeah, so not only are you doing the prayers and the credit visualization, you're also having a, an actual herbal tonic as well. That's kind of because, like, it, it's supposed to be hot, isn't it? It's basically kind of like a tea, essentially. Right. It's a hot tea. Yeah. I I, I did a little experiment with it. And I was like, wait a second. You have to heat this up. You can't yeah. just. It's not going to work otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and those ingredients also come from the east or the, uh, from visiting or saffron. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah, it was, saffron is a very expensive uh, spice. Mm. So yeah, and especially even more so back in in medieval times as well. Like it, it's expensive today for us. I mean, I guess even more so in, in medieval times before they had you yeah. know, processing and everything as well. So right, it's interesting. And I mean, yeah. I know, like in my mind, I'm also thinking of like saffron is usually. I, I think I think it's a gripper that. Uh, assigns saffron to to Jupiter, I think, as well. So like there is, and rose water is Venus, I think, which are. It's interesting that both of those in in medieval astrology are are the benefics, right? They're, they're the benefic planets that are you know usually mm-hmm. beneficial to everything they do. So, I mean, have you found I, I, not not just in 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 the tea or the substances, but I guess throughout the notoria, have you found any kind of instances of like planetary or, or astrological influences outside of kind of the timing of choosing when to do the ritual? Is there any kind of planetary stuff in there? Yeah, uh, the, the the interesting thing I, I, I was looking at was, okay, we have saffron, we got rose water, and then we have these uh, zodiac signs in which to, to learn certain uh, fields of knowledge. And it... Digging into the lore on that, it, it's I got the sense that the Ars Notoria is a very fiery uh, of a fiery nature because of those mm-hmm. signs. Uh, a lot of them are during the summer, and then you're taking in um, the saffron's of, of a warming uh, spice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this, uh, and then there's the the, the mythology behind uh, the laurel the laurel leaves too. Um, sure. You have uh, uh, Apollo uh, you know, of the sun and uh, the laurel leaves being associated with uh, divination. And also um, I read about how the laurel leaves and, and Apollo's uh, energy is to 
push away the demons. Mm. So, the so that would make sense in the context of a purification as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think um, I, if I'm recording as well, correctly, I think the, the Oracle of Delphi as well, so the Pythia, who was basically the priestess of Apollo, they didn't choose to chew laurel leaves as well when she went into trance and received her visions, I think, as well. So that's also interesting. That is yeah. interesting, yeah. So I think it like all of this, all of it's kind of lining up. I'm like, yeah, this is like it's it's almost like a medieval dream manual, like for like triggering dreams or like increasing memory via dreams. It's it's kind of absolutely, it, absolutely, yeah. So yeah. I think it's it, it follows that that vein. If you you look back at, mm -hmm. uh, to the ancient Greek, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so sort of Greek, ancient Greek and, and the sort of you know the Greco-Egyptian papyri and the the, the demotic manuals thing like that. Because I think like we even have. In fact, I think actually if, uh, associated with Apollo as well, like one of the rituals that comes to mind for me, I, I think it's uh, it, it's like a divine evocation of Apollo. I think it is in the in the papyri. Uh, it, mm -hmm. it, it instructs you to kind of basically draw kind of teres or sigils on laurel leaves and make them into kind of like a crown and then wear it right. like, during the thing. It's like right. it's the same even though you're not dissolving them in water, like that whole procedure of drawing sigils or characters or names onto laurel leaves and then, you know, putting it on your body in that capacity, like that's right. almost like a word for word, like copy aside from the dissolving essentially. Yeah. 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 The, the, uh, the, the methods uh, get passed down, uh, yeah. transmit. It's interesting. Um, yeah. So brilliant. I, I guess, um, I, the last thing I want to ask you, I, I know we didn't want to, I really didn't want to touch on John of Morangi too much, but the last thing I'll ask you before we kind of start wrapping up, what do you kind of make of John of Morangi's whole experience? You know, because for, for people who don't know, uh, who are listening, John of Morangi is, I, I think, isn't, isn't it like 14th century Benedictine monk, I think? Uh -huh. um, and he sort of has this whole experience with the Astoria. He's one of the most famous uh, people who arguably practiced the Astoria. And he kind of does the whole experience and he starts, he starts doing, doing the whole ritual and he starts getting all of these terrible night terrors and visions and he becomes convinced that it's demonic and all this kind of thing, that, it, that it's not actually angels. And it inspires him to kind of take the general procedure and sort of reconstruct it and, and sort of rework it into an, another sort of text that is, is, you know, designed for rapid learning, but it's more focused on the Virgin Mary, I think. But how, what do you kind of make of his whole experience? I mean, in, in general, like, is is there, is he drawing on anything for his experience, or does it kind of seem that he has kind of had a bit of a one-off thing? I was like, this is insane. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm really not sure. Yeah, it could have been like, oh, I had a, a this night terror, and I'm not going to touch that that uh, Arch Notoria ever again. Um, I think that there's something that we can relate to uh, our, ourselves today as people. It'd be like, oh my gosh, that was that was terrible. I'll, I'll never touch it again. Um, but you know, um, I, I feel that uh, he, he believes he had you know genuine experiences uh, of the Virgin Mary and being guided to uh, to rework his uh, material. And uh, you know, he had his circle of followers um that were interested in his work and what he was doing um so um yeah 
Um, yeah, because I mean, cause the, the, that is kind of the main um, the main difference, right? Because I think the Liber Florum that he he composes, like the main focus, isn't so much angels; it is more sort of via like knowledge comes via the Virgin Mary, right? Because I mean, because right. Mary or, or other kind of I don't know, like other Christian figures, like they make like you know the names of Jesus or whatever may appear in passing in, in the prayers, but like other sort of major biblical characters, do they appear in the Notorio? I can't I can't remember uh other figures um a bit like biblical figures like jesus or mary or, or anyone like that um well well there's um uh, aside from king solomon uh mm. you have prayers to the holy Trin- trinity that comes up quite frequently mm-hmm. uh jesus christ has mentioned a time or two um certainly made a reference to a prayer called uh light of the world mm. uh, but i would say Predominantly, it's the the Holy Spirit or the, the Trinity, um, or angels, generally speaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the the whole tradition of sort of gaining knowledge from from Mary seems to be a, a more of a John of Morangi thing. Um, well, you have the the Ars Brevis, uh, the short mm-hmm. art. It it has uh, it's very Catholic in nature. Um, mm-hmm. it, it references. Uh, uh, Virgin Mary addresses prayers to her. Uh, and this is what's interesting, too, that we didn't talk about is the Ars Brevis is, um, like I said, very Catholic in nature, has the, these votive masses that you you make. There's a, uh, a ritual, I would call it like a crucifixion ritual, in which the practitioner identifies himself with Jesus as being crucified on the cross. Um, and the uh, the Ars Brevis was um, composed in the mid 14th century, and by the time it got to um, the Latin scribe who wrote, uh, whose work got into the Agrippa Opera Omnia uh, collection of works, uh, you had the Protestant Reformation period, and so that the, those Catholic elements of the Ars Brevis was omitted by that Latin writer. And so by the time Turner translated it, uh, he himself made very minor uh, deletions of anything Catholic. But right. most of that most of that deletion was made by the the Latin scribe of the Agrippian uh, collection of works. Yeah, because I mean, if if the Osbrevis is is you know mostly Catholic, he must he must have omitted quite a bit. <laughs> he must have like scraped the text. Yeah. So so uh, so what I had done with my uh, my edition of the Ars Brevis, uh, Vernez had taken two manuscripts um, in in Latin, and I took a, a third one that was uh, from the 15th century, and it contains additional uh, figures. So there's four figures in the and this uh, third manuscript, uh, Sloan uh, five thirteen, mm-hmm. and so I've uh, taken these two Latin editions and put them to, together um, into one. And so now we have those those other Catholic prayers and this very more extended length of uh, the Ars Brevis. And so I, I have that translated. Um, uh, so. Uh, What's also interesting, I wrote a blog about this, is that these figures um, of the four, we don't, we're not quite sure of their identities and what they're associated with in terms of learning and acquiring memory and understanding and so forth. Um, but there's um, 
there's still a lot of work uh, yet to be done with uh, the Ars Notoria tradition. Uh, so I hope that gets uh, gets the ball rolling in, in that uh, in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, also, why I didn't mention this is interesting is um, there's this one uh, prayer in the Ars Notoria uh, that is has circulated among the, the grimoires. Uh, it's found like in the Key of Solomon, um, and it is also in John Dee's work, uh, which there's these three angel names that appear. And that prayer was found in the Ars Notoria originally, but, and then it was passed into the Ars Brevis. And then from the Ars Brevis, it was passed into this Polish king's prayer book in the 15th century. Oh. And there, it, that prayer gets recontextualized, is then used for uh, doing uh, crystal gazing or summoning spirits. And so from that, uh, it goes into the greater grimoire tradition as being associated with crystal gazing or the summoning of uh, or spirit conjugation. Right. So like, let's talk kind of like Trithemius's method of, of drawing spirits up to crystals and things like that. Right. Yeah. So mm. what, what, what was it originally in, in, in the notorium? And what was the prayer for? Is it like a, something for astrology or rhetoric or something? Uh, no, it was, um, it had two uh, occult virtues, uh, which it would be used for what I would call the lesser rituals in which particular context. Mm-hmm. One is for attaining a vision. And so this kind of makes sense mm-hmm. that that prayer would be used for spirit conjugation. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the, And then in my uh, hypothesized Christian writer, uh, writer of the letter, Hmm. he talks about uh, attaining a vision uh, or excuse me, attaining a spiritual experience with this prayer and associates it with um, the uh, medicine. Hmm. And so attaining a, certain knowledge about someone's health or if a woman is pregnant or what have you. And so it has those two uh, ritual functions. What's also interesting is that the Summa Sacrae Magicae associates that prayer with uh, visions and attaining uh, communication with angels. So that's consistent with its use in the the Polish King's prayer book. Thing, yeah. So how, how is this? Is it like the the Polish one? Is this the um, the one that's on the flowchart here? That's sort of directly descended from uh, the Liber Forum and the Ars Brevis. I'm, I'm not even going to yes. try and pronounce that. <laughs> yes, that's 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 the one. Right. Okay, it makes more sense. Yeah. Um, so then, I, I guess the only other one on on this list uh, that we haven't talked about really is, is that other 15th century one, the De Ars Crucifixi. So where does that fit in that that comes from the Ars the Ars Brevis for yeah that comes from the Ars Brevis. Um, so what, is, what is that text? Is it is, is it like a collection of prayers in a similar kind of way or um there's still some research to be done on that one but <clears throat> the the relationship there is that 
as I had mentioned, there's a crucifixion uh, rite in the Ars Brevis in which the practitioner identifies with Jesus, the crucified Jesus. And so um, that is uh, that exists in the uh, uh, in that 15th century text by the, the by the hermit. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's really so. So when you say identify with, like, is it kind of similar? Like, because uh, the, the thing that's coming to my mind right now is it, it's a really common uh, Egyptian formula, which is kind of the I am formula, where like the practitioner in, in the Demotic papyri quite frequently identifies with gods, goes, I am Osiris, I am Anubis, I am such and such, and I call you by my authority, essentially. You know, so, so like, there's this procedure of identifying with a god, or identifying, I guess, your consciousness with a god is very well established in the demotic stuff. So are we looking at kind of a similar, like, what's what's the wording there when we say identifies with? Is it that he's becoming Jesus on the cross, or is it kind of sympathizing or, or what? Uh, well, what, what the instructions are is that you take uh, nails into your hands and then you go up against your, your bedroom wall and extend your arms out as if you are crucified as Christ. Um, there's no uh, invocation like you would find in the Greek magical papyri saying, I'm, I am this, I am that. It's just instructions to do that, um, do that posture. <clears throat> yeah, that's very interesting. That's like, and that's that's very unique, I guess. I, I can't think of anything else that does that. Well, I, I I can see it being kind of like a sympathetic kind of magic, or whatever that you're like emulating. So it helps you get into the, helps you sort of you know get into the feel of it, I guess. But it makes sense. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess we can start. Uh, we can start wrapping up. So you said your your book is out. I think you said November twentieth. I think. Uh, November twenty eighth. 28th okay my mistake yes uh and it's with inner inner traditions right correct right okay is there anything i guess anything you want to share about it i guess this can be a nice like last minute section for you to plug anything (laughs) like where can we find you um what can we expect or what kind of thing yeah um you can find me at uh matthiascastle.com and uh i am continuing to work on future projects uh, of an esoteric uh, nature. So um, keep a lookout for that in, uh, in the future. Yeah, and I, I, you have a blog as well, which um, I, I'll plug everything in, in the description below so everyone can, can find you easily, uh, everything I can find. But um, yeah, I guess like, we can we can wrap up then. Uh, it's a nice hour and a half, I guess. Um, so Pathai, thank you so much for coming on. This has been incredible. Oh, thank you for having me very much. Yeah.